Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. With me today, Kimberly Majeski. Hi, Jim. Kimberly, we are so glad to see you. Thanks for coming alongside. It's been a while. It's been a while. It's good to be here with you. But, you know, Kimberly, I know your life is full. You have lots of things going on. Mm-hmm. In fact, your son, it just seems like yesterday, when we sat here at CBH talking about his arrival in your house, how yes. exciting that was. Three years have passed. And would you say that he is as adorable at age three as he was at his birth? Oh my goodness, every day more adorable. That's why it just drains my bank account. Slowly. <laughs> because, because I promise you, Kimberly Majeski's little boy will be dressed to kill, no doubt about it. All right, now you just told me he's learned a word, actually. He learned the word, actually. He's been using it in sentences. Uh, he's so far beyond where he should be at his age. He's an overachiever and brilliant, and we're certain that at some point we'll run for the United States of America. We're hoping for the office of the president. President. But yeah, so he's saying actually and uh, using words that are far above his development. I know some adults that never use the word actually. <laughs> so all that to say, your boy Maximus is a phenom. And how favored he is that the Lord has put him in your loving arms and that of your husband, Kevin. And there's so much to celebrate there. But we yeah. also acknowledge in this world, not everyone has quite the same opportunity, and that's part of the brokenness of this world. And what can we do to help others who might have the same potential as Maximus to realize their dreams and God's plan in their lives? That's what we're going to talk about today, Kimberly, because long before you were a mom, you had a passion for helping people find freedom. Kimberly Majeski, you're one of our co-hosts here on CBH. You have a whole palette of things that engage your interest. You're a mom. You also are on the faculty at university, both graduate school and undergrad. Yes. Uh, you have so many things that interest you. But one thing that has claimed your heart in recent years is a ministry called Stripped Love. That's right. Tell me about that. All right. Well, uh, I'll tell our listeners, because I know that, that you know well, I tell the story of how this all came to be many, many times um, all over the United States. And I am completely unprepared to lead a not-for-profit to serve women in domestic trafficking and commercial sex trade. But Just, that's what Strip Love does. That's what Strip Love does. Wow. And I did not prepare in any way to do this kind of work. This is a complete and total supernatural God-ordained and appointed office. So the ministry began almost eight years ago now when I was sitting in my local church and my pastor, Jim Lyon. Oh, that was this this guy. (laughs) uh, Was teaching a series on dreams and what would happen if we would dream without fear. And uh, you shared a story about a team of women that went into strip clubs in Jesus' name for the sake of the gospel out on the West Coast. And for once, you were actually paying attention to the sermon. For once, uh, I was. You had my rapt attention. I was listening to every word, and I felt God speak. I felt God say to me, "Kimberly, you should do that." And in the moment, I had all of these visions. I mean, it was. I mean, I can't believe you couldn't hear it from the stage because it was. It was such a cacophony and such an epiphany moment. Uh, I could envision the T-shirts and who would help and who would do this and what we'd do and how we'd organize. and All out of the blue because you didn't come to 
Sunday service that day with any no. of this in mind. <laughs> Suddenly, no. your mind's exploding with ideas. I was late. I had stopped to get a latte. I was getting into <laughs> my seat. Yeah, all the things we do. Going, it was just a regular Sunday morning. I had no idea that I was going to have this call. So I, uh, I, I knew that God was speaking and. Somehow, between listening to your sermon that day, hearing God's call, walking out to my car in our parking lot, I talked myself out of it. It's preposterous. This is crazy. What are you talking about? I don't know one thing about uh, strip clubs. I've never been to a strip club. Uh, I have research to write and papers to grade and students to, you know, pour into and and there are no strip clubs in my town. That's what you thought. There's no, you know, pressing issue here. I, I don't know of anything going on in this city. So I got in my car and thought, you know, God, thanks for talking to me. But that's probably a really good thing. And I'll try to do some research and, and figure out where I can plug in. Got in my car, turned left out of our church driveway, stopped at the stop sign, and then rolled over the railroad tracks to the red light and looked to the right. And there was a sign um, over a strip club in our town that I'd never seen before. Even though you've driven this way for years. I lived in this town for over a decade and had never seen this before. And on that street you drove by from church every How Sunday. How many times? Yeah. And there Every was. Sunday, every Wednesday, never at least noticed twice. It. Yeah. Uh, I work out there on Tuesdays and Thursdays. No excuse. And it said, uh, the name of the strip club is Who's Your Girls? It said, now hiring the class of 2010. And I stopped. And I thought, my class of 2010, uh, the women students that, graduating? my students, these women that I'm that I'm pouring into, the, 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 these students who are the hope of the church and the world, this these these young people with bright futures and and goals and dreams, you're targeting these people, my people. And I knew in that moment that the call I'd heard, you know, half an hour before, was connected to this moment. And that that was my mission field and that God was speaking to me. And so that's how it all began. And from that moment, that day, etched in your memory forever, the Lord has developed a ministry into strip clubs. That's right. And when we come back, though, I want you to unpack for us, Kimberly, if you will, why strip clubs and why (laughs) does that matter? Because I... I think most people would imagine, well, I'm not sure if I have a daughter that I imagine her growing up and making a career in a strip club as a dancer, or maybe you're a young woman listening today and you think, well, what's the matter with that? Maybe it's not your cup of tea, but honestly, what difference does it make? Aren't there a lot of other big fish to fry in this broken world than people who just choose to dance and get paid for it? And if guys want to watch, what difference does it make? When we come back, help us understand why it matters and why you've given so much of your life now to speaking into that environment. Kimberly Majeski, our co-host on CBH Viewpoint with us today, had a moment eight years ago where her life was changed as she realized God was calling her to intervene in the ordinary course of people who work in strip clubs. And Kimberly, you had no experience with strip clubs. It's not something you even noticed or even thought about and didn't even actually think there was one in your community until that same day when you drove by. It's not so far from the church you've attended for years. And you were just called into walking into the door. You've established a ministry called Strip Love, which now has spread from this local venue where you live to Mm -hmm. all other parts of the country. Why does it matter? Why 
do you want to go into a strip club? When you say stripped love, are those people who work there, do they really need you? What, what's that about? Right. Well, they need me and I need them. But none of this I knew in the beginning. In the beginning, it was my friend, Natalie, and I taking cookies and stumbling over our words and finding ways to build commonalities with these people who are our neighbors. When we got to begin to spend time and build relationships with the women in these clubs, then we began to learn a little bit more about what was going on. See, the truth is, I lived in this town and I never saw the club. Most Christians, most folk in church live in cities where uh, sex trade is happening and it happens under our radar. We don't know anything about it. And the truth is, you have to kind of compel people to care for what the world calls strippers. Uh, just like you said, the, these women um, want to do this, it's their business, et cetera, et cetera. Even if I don't agree, do I really need to stop by and give them cookies so that I can persuade right. them to do something else? I mean, that's the idea. That's the idea. So it's incumbent upon me, upon our ministry, to sort of unpack that for people so that they understand the connection between sex clubs and sex trafficking. And I just want to preface it by saying very honestly, none of this I knew in the beginning. In the beginning, I was just told to go love these women. And the only way I knew how to do that was with cookies. And so that's where I started. And it works. I, I think that's a <laughs> universal truth. <laughs> so uh, I'm for it. So here's what we know today. There are 40 million slaves worldwide. We know that slavery in our modern times is so prolific um, that expressions happen in many ways. There's labor trafficking. Um, there's uh, all sorts of trafficking that happens as with goods and services. What we are talking about here today specifically is sex trafficking. And we define sex trafficking uh, through terms of force, fraud, and coercion. So those people who are uh, having their bodies bought and sold under force, fraud, or coercion. And so when I learned that definition, I started to kind of scratch my head and go, well, then this applies to most of the girls I know in this business. What we know today that we didn't know eight years ago is that 70% of women who are trafficked are in the sex trade. And the local expression of the trade is a strip club. That's true in this country. That's true in the United States. Uh, a lot of people think that sex trafficking happens um, in the United States uh, in terms of the way that it happens in a global, in a global expression. So we've seen the movies. And, and we know that it happens in India, and we know that it happens in Philippines, and we care about that, and we want to engage in that. But when we're talking about domestic sex trafficking, we're not talking about people being kidnapped from their homes and tied up and uh, left places and uh, locked in in cellars, although I could tell you some stories about those things. It does happen, but it's not the largest avenue. The most common expression is when women are groomed and recruited and then turned out is what the term that we use. It's the idea that some person lures a person into this sort of relationship where uh, you are using your body as a commodity and you're doing it to benefit someone else. And the change that the women that I serve have are for the most part emotional. They're locked in fear. They're afraid that this person who is their oppressor, who is their trafficker, who is their pimp, 
who is oftentimes what they call their boyfriend, all those words synonymous with each other, will harm you know, their child, will kill their mother, will do what they're doing to her, to their younger sister, will throw them out on the street, will tell her family about the picture she took. I mean, all sorts of... Those are coercions. They're coercions, and they're being used in such a way that the women, in most cases, in terms of who I work with, not to say that it doesn't happen to men, it absolutely does, but our ministry works with women, to the place that these women are locked in fear, and so they continue in these relationships... And the way that they, uh, the gateway into earning money and fulfilling these relationship demands is through a sex club. Uh, And that's how trafficking is related. And you are using the word sex club to describe a strip club. Yes, because live sex acts happen in strip clubs. And in our clubs, um, locally in central Indiana, women uh, don't earn an hourly wage. And so the, the money that they earn is what they earn through lap dances, through private parties, through after-hours events. And so those become negotiated by the staff, by pimps, by uh, patrons in the bar so that they can earn more money and pay rent or support their drug habit or, you know, buy their kids' school supply. I mean, whatever the need is, whatever that sort of boot on your neck is, you, you do what you have to do to get those And that Uh, could be anything from the tip thrown into your face at the club for something that's being asked for, or it could be a negotiated deal for something out of the club that I now know will get me some money, and therefore I have to have this money to survive, and that's how it works. So it's a a kind of opening, uh, a channel that opens wider and wider, and the farther you get along in it, the harder it is to get out of it. That's my guess. That's right. We talk about it in terms of disrupting the cycle. If we can disrupt that cycle within the first years, the first two years a girl has been in the clubs, then we have a good shot at getting her out. Beyond the first two years, it's really, really hard. The extraction is just near impossible. When we come back, Kimberly, I want to ask about a story in the Old Testament that I know has put fuel on your fire that helps me understand as a grown man that I need to care too. This isn't just about Kimberly and her passion. This is about everyone's passion if you have any sense of your own heart being aligned with heaven's heart.
we think about women in strip clubs in the developed Western world, clubs that my co-host today is describing as a sex club, and not everyone would connect that dot. I mean, obviously, there's a kind of sexual frame in these strip clubs, but people wouldn't see them as sex clubs because that would suggest some kind of different level, a deeper level of sexual engagement. But Kimberly Majeski, my co-host today, is a part of a ministry called Stripped Love, which actually understands that strip clubs are sex clubs, and they are certainly the gateway to this kind of sex trafficking. When we think about folks who are in that mix, sometimes we think, well, that's their choice, or, uh, you know, they, they may have stumbled into it, but now they're still there, and all of this is because they have all kinds of options in life, and therefore this is what they've chosen, and so it's not our business to intervene. But, Kimberly, your position is, no, that's not so, that these people who are lost, uh, and literally lost in this yeah. weave of sexual coercion mm-hmm. and uh, objectification of their bodies and so on and so forth, that they're actually people who don't have voice, that they are, mm-hmm. they're vulnerable women mm-hmm. who maybe even as teenagers were drawn into this street life, and now it's impossible to get out because the longer you're in it, the more difficult it is. And does God really care? Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about so many problems in this world, does God really care about this? And you have concluded, absolutely. And there's a story in the Old Testament that is so fascinating as you have helped me understand why this matters. Tell us about that. There's a story in the Old Testament, uh, Genesis 16, about the Egyptian slave Hagar. And if you think about hearing this story about Abram and Sarah, this is before they get their name changes, and they're eager to welcome a child and to receive the promise of God, and when they find out they can't do that in um, the natural way, then uh, Hagar is sent in to have relations with Abram and produce an heir. Now, that's very culturally accepted. I mean, that's just what happened in the ancient world in that context. And so uh, we have to be honest about that. But what happens, what the fallout from that is, Hagar conceives and then she and Sarai have issues with one another and she becomes mistreated and she flees into the desert, into the wilderness and uh, tries to literally commit suicide. And she has a little baby consequent to this, you might say, involuntary arrangement. Yeah. And so she's a single mom with this little boy. Yes. She's she's expecting this child. She's going to be a single mom. She knows that they're holding out for a child by Sarai. And uh, she flees because she's afraid of being mistreated. And she has already been mistreated. And she goes into the wilderness, and it is, it is tantamount to committing suicide because she's going out there alone. Women couldn't go venture out by themselves, and she's completely unprotected by, from the bandits and from the animals and from the heat. And she's just sort of lying out there waiting to die. When the angel of the Lord comes to her and cares for her, literally says, you know, eat and sleep, rest up, go back. It's all going to be okay gives her a promise about her own son, Ishmael, and what he will become. And Hagar, in this exchange, gives us this beautiful phrase. And she says, surely you are the God who sees. And this, Jim, is the first time in Scripture where God is named. And it isn't Abraham, and it isn't Moses, and it isn't Jacob. It's a sex slave in the ditch trying to commit suicide. Who names God? El Roy, the one who sees. 
and I'm understanding you to say, Kimberly, that before this moment, God was understood but was not named. In other words, had no descriptor. That's right. Was just kind of a being. But she, she's actually assigned to God this descriptive name. Mm-hmm. He's the God who sees. He sees me. And what that says about God. What that he, says. He's, he's looking at the whole world, but he's intervened in the life of this young woman who is completely powerless mm-hmm. and has been swept up into a scenario that she could not have chosen and did not ever dream of finding herself lost in this way. And he saw her. And came to her and rescued her and said, I'm with you and it's going to be okay. And there's a purpose for the life inside you. And I think if God cares about the sex slave in the ditch, then we ought to too. And if it matters to God, it better matter to anyone who thinks they're honoring him. Yeah. And so we believe in visiting women in their place of trouble. We don't believe evangelism is something you do to someone. We believe it's a way that you live your life. And we've worked really hard to develop authentic relationships. And you just can't do that, you know, popping in here and there. You have to go and you have to sit and you have to share your life and invite people to share their lives with you. And you have to show up consistently. These are women who've never had anybody show up for them consistently in their lives. And so, you know, if it's negative 10 degrees outside and our our friends are working, we stop in to check on them, right? That's just what we do. I will never forget walking into a club for the first time and putting my hand on the door and saying to God, I'm so afraid. What if they judge us? What if they throw us out of here? What if they are, are mean to us? And I remember God saying to me, that's exactly how these women feel standing outside your church. And that's why we knew we had to go to them before they would ever be open to coming to us. And what you've discovered in eight years is that there are precious, beautiful women of promise Mm -hmm. in those places who are glad you come. Amen. They're glad to meet you and the people who work alongside you. And we want everyone here listening today to know that every person God sees, and in every strip club, there are beautiful women of promise that God sees. And as implausible and unlikely a character as Kimberly Majeski might be to walk into a strip club and develop a ministry, God is in it. Mm-hmm. And we thank you for that, Kimberly, and all the teams you have developed, not just here in your hometown, but across the land. But by the same token, that inspires me to think, if Kimberly can do great things, maybe I can too. Maybe all of us can. Maybe the Lord will not call you into a strip club, but He still has a call for you. Mm. Today, before we bring this program to a close, I want to give everyone present a chance to just dream a little bit as Kimberly started her story. In a church meeting where she was dared to dream and a dream that she could have never manufactured came from heaven on her. And today there are people who are free because of it. Now how about you? Maybe you have a dream to dream that God is going to give to you. Maybe you yourself are listening today and you find yourself in a strip club. Maybe you're a dancer or a consumer. What's the dream God has for you? Wherever you are in life, pray with us. Our Father, we're so thankful today. We're so thankful for the way in which you know us by name and that you see us. Thank you for Hagar's testimony from so many millennia ago and for the way in which, Lord, she reminds us that you see us, each one. And Lord, as you see us, you also have plans for us that are good. 
And I pray, Lord, that we will surrender our lives, each of us, into your hand, knowing that we're not worthy of your favor, but that your son Jesus has made a way for us to be at peace with you and to be the recipient of your blessing. And so in Jesus' name, because of what he has already done, we come before you today and ask, help us to dream dreams, to Mm -hmm. change the world, Mm -hmm. to bring life, and to be at the front line of your love wherever they may lead us. I pray especially for stripped love and all those who work mm-hmm. in that ministry and others like it. And may they this week find your favor and be encouraged. Don't let the devil discourage them in any way. And we pray for everyone, especially today, who may be lost in the cycle of a strip club, who may find themselves in a scenario from which they would like to escape but don't know how. Lord, match them up with someone in the body of Christ who can give them a way out. Mm-hmm. Dear Lord, thank you for hearing our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you'd like to know more about how you can be in relationship with a God who will help you dream for the good, give us a call. And if you'd like to know more about Stripped Love and how that ministry can come to your town, I promise you it can, give us a call. Just dial this number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. 24 hours a day and seven days a week. We're by the phone And we are so glad always to hear your voice. Kimberly, if someone did not want to call, though, and preferred instead to look at us online, where would they go? You can visit us online at cbhviewpoint.org. Send us a message and we'll get right back to you. I promise you we will. CBH, Christians Broadcasting Hope. That's our moniker. That's who we are, cbhviewpoint.org. Or at the last, just send me a letter. Address it to Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420. Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But whether you call us up, check us out online, or use surface mail, please let us hear from you this week. And yes, ask us about Strip Love because we want to build a bridge for you to this great work. Kimberly, as you were talking today, all I could think about were some famous words of Jesus that we often just drive by. They're so familiar. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Mm-hmm. We call it the golden rule. He said, treat other people the way you want them to treat you. And I'm so thankful that you're treating the people who work in those strip clubs just the way you'd want to be treated with some chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> I'm for it. Thanks for being with us, Kimberly. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for tuning in. We hope you'll be with us again next week when we have Kimberly back to tell us a little bit more about how this works, how you can walk into a strip club and actually change a life. For all of us at the Viewpoint team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, this is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned.